many of you know uh, pieces of my story of how I came to faith, and uh, I wanted to share just a little, a little bit of it this morning in, in how it kind of relates to what we're going to be doing with uh, communion. Um, but I, I wasn't a Christian, went through school, um, didn't, didn't believe, and uh, I got out of school and was working at a defense contractor as an engineer with a bunch of other guys that were all Christians, and this really set me off, and I wanted to show them that they were crazy, and uh, you know, this led to some real conflict with me and them, but they would not argue with me. What they kept doing is telling me, they kept telling me to like read. They're like, well, what do you believe? What do you think? You know, why don't you read this? What do you think about that? And so they kind of challenged me. I figured the best thing to do is to go to the Bible, because then I can really show them how stupid they really are, you know, if I just start reading the Bible as a non-Christian. So I start reading the Bible, and like, where do you start? I open it up, I start right at the beginning. So I start reading Genesis, okay? And I'm going to start arguing with these, these Christians. Um, and one of the guys who's just a genius, now I can look back and realize, um, he's like, look, if you really want to understand what we believe, you know, you got to come to church. You got to hear, you know, what, what, we're, what we believe and what we're teaching and stuff like that. So here I am, not a Christian, reading through the Bible and going to church. And uh, other crazy circumstances I can't get into right now, but I end up doing VBS, okay? <laughs> I didn't know what VBS was, but they saw in me, they just saw that I was a, I was a, I was a buff guy. They figured, it's, anyways, they had me setting up like volleyball nets and like basketball stuff and, you know, setting up all the games for the kids, uh, during vacation Bible school. So I am literally, I am, I am reading through the Bible, and I am, at night, I'm going to vacation Bible school as a, as a helper, okay? So this is, this is kind of the picture that I want to paint for you. Not a Christian, not a believer, really just looking at stuff that I can argue with the guys at work about. And uh, so as I'm reading through the Old Testament during the day, at night, I'm going to vacation Bible school, and I'm hearing the gospel. They're telling the gospel over the period of this week. So I'm reading through, I get to Exodus, and I get to the story of the Passover. And that's kind of what I want to talk about this morning. So for those of you who don't remember the story of the Passover, or you haven't, you know, seen the Ten Commandments in a while, classic with Charlton Heston, huh? Or Prince of Egypt, the cartoon. Anyways, this is the, the, the recap of the Passover. Um, the, the, the Jewish people were in Egypt. They were no longer in a place of honor. The pharaohs kind of holding them down. He's got them enslaved just working because they were threatened by them, and they were threatened by what would happen if uh, the Jews had control. And so they're, they're enslaved for 430 years. They're enslaved in Egypt, and they're crying out to God, and they're saying, you know, help us, restore us, deliver us, do something. God, kill some Egyptians, do something, get us out of here. For years, this is their prayer. And uh, finally, God speaks from the burning bush to Moses, and this is what he says from Exodus 3, 7, and 8. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them. That's a cool statement. God says, I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So God tells Moses, I, look, I've heard the cries, the suffering, and now is the time. Now is the time for me to show up and, and show them that I am their rescuer. I am their deliverer. So he works through this man, Moses. He works through Moses, and he starts bringing plagues against Egypt and trying to get uh, the Pharaoh to relent and let the people go. Um, but he won't. And so finally, the last plague 
is going to be a bad one. Moses tells him it's going to be a bad one. And uh, God is going to send an angel that is going to kill the firstborn male of every family and every animal um, that, that people have. And so this is, you know, this, this is a bad deal. But he tells him, I'm going to know who, who, who trusts me by the ones that observe uh, what's now called the Passover, which is to take the blood of an unblemished lamb and put it on their door so that when the angel would come to kill the firstborn males, it would pass over those homes. It would pass over those that had observed um, what the Lord had commanded. And so he, he gives them these, in, these instructions that are incredibly detailed of, of what they need to do. But then even afterwards, he delivers them in this powerful, amazing way. And the first thing he does afterwards is tell them, remember what I've done. I want you to set a festival, a feast. Every year, I want you to, to reflect on what I have done because I am the God who delivers I am the God who showed up when you cried out, when you were enslaved, and I was the God who redeemed and restored you and did all this. And I, and I know that you're going to forget, so I want you to remember. And God ordained the Passover, the observance of remembering when God had done that. And I'm reading this, again, I'm reading, I'm not, not a believer, and uh, when God starts giving them instructions about how they're going to observe the Passover, he goes into detail that, you know, is, is, is amazing. Uh, and I'm thinking, like, God, get a hold of yourself. Like, if you're really a God, like, are you really that, like, type A? Because he's telling them, you're going to slaughter this lamb. And it's got to be an unblemished lamb. It's got to be a male. It's got to be, like, all these different things. Oh, and by the way, when you're slaughtering this animal, don't break any of its bones. And I was like, that just really struck me. I don't know. I thought it was odd. You know, like, that's, that was crazy. So then that night, literally that night, I go to vacation Bible school that's where I was going, and uh, they're telling the story of Jesus on the cross. And f- for me, it connected incredible dots. Like, it was amazing. If I didn't, if I didn't know that that book, th- that Exodus was written hundreds, if not thousands of years before, I, I would not have uh, imagined that it was written outside of knowing about Christ because of the overlap, because of the things that I saw. And one of the amazing things was, one of the amazing things was that as Jesus is on the cross, um, they would come and they would break the legs of people that were crucified to accelerate the process of them dying so they could, you know, get on with their weekend. And so they get to Jesus, (laughs) literally. So they get to Jesus and they're like, oh, he's a goner. So it says they didn't break any of his bones. And I remember, man, I read that. And it was like, I mean, it was God. You know, I don't, I don't believe the Bible's not magic, okay? If you smack your friend in the head with it, they're not going to love Jesus. You know, if you put it under their pillow, it's not going to happen. But the origin of the Bible is supernatural. It's God. And, and, and when, you, when you expose yourself to it, when you immerse yourself into it, hang on. Because you're going to see incredible things. And that was a great example. In my life, it, it, I don't remember if that was when I decided that I was going to you know, become a Christian or not, but I know that that was instrumental. Like, I remember um, that story. And so this morning, I kind of wanted to bring some of that Passover experience, like, like, like what people were experiencing with Passover as, uh, as we talk about communion. So let's take a look at um, Luke chapter 22, verses 13 through 16. And this is uh, Luke's account of them celebrating the Passover. They're celebrating the Passover and this is where Christ ordains or, or puts into commission the Lord's Supper. Or what did you call it? The Holy Supper. 
communion. We have so many different, the agape meal, happy meal, happy meal. Gosh, oh, I wish I'd thought of that. Okay, Luke 22, verses 13 through 16. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. Jesus had told them exactly how things were going to happen that night. Um, so they prepared the Passover. This is important that they, that in Luke's account, he is making the point that they were preparing the Passover. They were preparing this traditional meal. They were going to observe this tradition of Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. Part of the tradition was they would recline and it was, it was a, a showing of freedom, of confidence that God has freed us. And so we can recline, we can be confident in who God is. I think that's interesting. Um, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So Jesus is telling them, you, my, my followers, you who have, who have I've been with, I want to celebrate Passover. There's something about this Passover observance that I want to experience with you. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. In that, I, I think that we see that they are celebrating the Passover. Most theologians, theologians, it's a new word. Most theologians will uh, tell you that they believe they were observing Passover. That's important, you know, for those of you that want to go and study it. You might find people that, that don't believe that they were celebrating a traditional Passover. I, I think that it's clear from the scriptures that they are because of stuff like that, of, of the invoking of the Passover. Um, it seems like they're observing it, and so that's important. Going on to Luke chapter 23. Verses 17 through 19. So we're continuing the story. It says, After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. He took bread, gave thanks, and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So this is what we probably have all heard before if we've ever been to communion. Uh, as a reading similar to this, of Christ saying, do this, this is my body given for you, do this in remembrance of me. But I want to look at the very beginning where it says, after taking the cup, as if we would know what the cup is, after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said what he said. This is part of the observance of the Passover feast. Like Part of observing the Passover feast is they would, they would take a cup and they would drink Four times or four different cups they would drink and they would remember the promises of God that they experienced in the Passover when God showed up. And this is from Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. So Pharaoh's really annoyed with Moses. He's turned up the heat and God does this. He says, therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. This verse was key to observing Passover because what they would do is they would drink a cup of wine and they would remember each of the things that that God said, I will do this, I will do that. And so when Jesus takes that cup, um, that first cup is called the cup of sanctification, or the cup to remember that God set them apart, made them holy, established them as their own community. And they remember the promise where he said, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. So Jesus, he takes this cup, and he would have drank the first of, of four cups of wine, or grape juice, if you're Baptist, and he would drink that. 
And then he would say a, a, a prayer that's not meant to offend Baptists. Fruit of the vine, however you want to take that. Okay, so they take and they would drink, and then he would say a, a, a blessing. It just says that he gave thanks, but it would have been a blessing like this. Something, uh, this is a traditional uh, blessing that would be said after the first cup. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, who has chosen for us your service from among the nations. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has kept us in life, who has preserved us and has enabled us to reach this season. So imagine the scene. Jesus is with all of his disciples. He's, he's beginning the observance. He takes the, the, the cup, which reminds them of God's delivery. And he says a prayer just like that. He would have taken another cup, the cup of deliverance. And they would have reflected on the next promise of God, which is, I will free you from being slaves to them. I will free you from being slaves. God, the deliverer, God, the rescuer, the promise that I will be the one to do this. And I love this part. So what would happen is after the second cup, the youngest person that would be there, typically it would be a family, or in this case it was um, Jesus was hosting the Passover. So whoever the youngest person was, in this case it would be John, the disciples believed to be the youngest, would say this, why is this night different from other nights? What is it about this night that's important? Asking the question which would prompt the host to then recount the story to tell the story of how God showed up in a miraculous way to save his people. So imagine this, the scene. I mean, this is incredible. So Jesus, the Passover lamb, as Paul refers to him, is telling the story of the Passover to his disciples. He's recounting the story to them of how a loving God who couldn't stand to see his people oppressed any longer, he couldn't stand to see it any longer, and he showed up and he says, I'm going to rescue him. He initiated, God initiated every part of the rescue effort. Jesus is telling them the story of how God did that and how God chose to work through the man, Moses. How God chose to work through this man in some weird way that God does, that he's ordained man, us humans, to work through. And so he chooses to work through Moses to free them. And in the end, Jesus tells them how at the end God ordained this opportunity to remember, to remember the Passover, remember how God showed up and how God delivered. Then they would have eaten the meal after the telling of the story. But I just, I mean, I love that picture of him telling the story. I mean, Jesus, the one who, who we read about was, was sent to set us free, is telling a story of God showing up and setting slaves free in Egypt. Luke chapter 22, verse 20. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So they ate the meal, and then he would have lifted up the third cup. The third cup is the cup of redemption. I will, and this brings to mind in, from that Exodus verse, when he says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. God is a God who redeems that he makes up the difference, that God sees the, the, what's been discarded. He sees what the world doesn't value, what, what, what people think to be of, of no value, and he makes up the difference. He redeems it. He reaches down, and he brings it, 
and he assigns it value that others might not have seen. God is a God who redeems. Jesus is telling the story, and so when he lifts up that cup that we celebrate in communion, that cup is the cup of redemption. But he does something very different because he says this cup is the new covenant. This cup is a new covenant in my blood. This is a new covenant that's being poured out for you. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 9, verse 12, says it this way. He says, he did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. This is a new covenant that Christ, in the middle of observing an old covenant, he is establishing a new covenant that is now not in the blood of goats and calves and, and, and killing lambs and smearing them on your door. Instead, it's his blood. His redemption is going to be different. No longer uh, is it going to be tied to our attempts and what we need to do, but now our relationship with God is going to be based on what Christ has done for us. And just like the Passover, it's the story of a loving God who couldn't stand to see his people oppressed any longer. He couldn't stand to see us oppressed by sin, oppressed by our own inability to, to, to be right with God. And so once and for all, God is, is going to do this. And he initiated every part of the rescue effort that God took on flesh and blood and the person and the human Jesus, fully God, fully man, to make up the difference, to redeem us, to set us apart for himself. He is a God who delivers, who rescues, who redeems. They would have taken a fourth cup and this is debatable whether or not they did. Some people will say that they didn't drink the fourth cup, and that's what Jesus meant when he said, I won't drink again from the fruit of the vine until everything has been complete. And the fourth cup uh, is a cup that remembers when he says, I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. The cup of restoration. That there will be a time when God will restore everything. That, e that, that God's kingdom will be absolute. That his authority will be absolute. There is a time that is coming when everything will be restored. And so some people say that that's what he meant, and he didn't drink the fourth cup. But they would have followed that by a hymn. They would have sang a song of praise to God. And Mark recounts, in his, when he tells the story, that they sang a hymn before they left, before they finished the Lord's Supper. So maybe he held up the cup, maybe he talked about it, maybe he drank it, but then they sang a hymn, and they ended the night. This is the backdrop for what we celebrate in church. This is the backdrop for the Lord's Supper. This is what, how it went down that first time. And I think it's important for us to remember uh, what, it, what it was like. What, how, how did it happen? Um, God knows us. God knows that we are a forgetful, fickle people and that we can forget that he is a God who redeems and restores and rescues. And so now, let's take this opportunity to take communion and to remember that. That first time when Jesus took the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remembrance. I think that's an, it, it's an important word because what it means is to focus your mind and to remember. It's, it's not some new age, you know, meditate on yourself. Find your inner child. No, remember, in history, there was a man named Jesus who lived and died. He was flesh and blood. He bled. He, he died on a cross. His body was broken so that we could be made whole. Remember, remember, this is history. This isn't made up. This is an event that we can look back to. 
that Jesus would refer to a sign for all generations that we'd be able to look back and see that not only did he die, but he rose again. And that that would be a sign for all generations. And when we celebrate, we remember that there was a real body really broken for us. And then likewise, he would have taken the cup and said, um, this is, this is the, the wine of the new covenant. This is my blood poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so when he points to the wine and he's talking about a new covenant, it's, it's more than just remembering what God's done. Paul goes so far as to say that when we take the Lord's Supper, we're proclaiming. We're proclaiming what Christ has done. It's an act of trust in the new covenant. No longer am I going to try and impress God with my own works. I am going to trust in this covenant that Christ has entered me into. I'm going to trust into his blood because that's the only way I can be in a right relationship with God. So we remember and we proclaim um, what Christ has done for us. I'm going to pray in just a minute and we'll have an opportunity to take this. And I would encourage you, don't rush to the table. But focus your mind. Remember how God has showed up in your life. Maybe it wasn't at vacation Bible school. But wherever God showed up and, and how he did it, just reflect on that. Remember that God is a rescuer. And whatever you're dealing with right now, that God is a rescuer. And when you come forward, who comes forward? Anybody. Anybody that wants to proclaim their trust in God. If you want to come forward and proclaim, I trust in you. You are a good God. I can trust you with what I need to be rescued from. I can trust you with whatever it is that I'm dealing with. I'd encourage you to take, take part in this morning. We'll have four tables set up. Four? For this? Yeah. Two in the back and two up here. So um, just come as you feel led. We're not going to uh, dismiss row by row. What will happen is somebody will give you a piece of bread and say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. You take the bread, dip it in the wine, or somebody will say, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. You dip it, you take it, and with that you proclaim, my trust is in him. My trust is in his work. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you are a deliverer. We thank you that you are good and that we can trust in you. I pray this morning that by your spirit you would call to our minds uh, the memories of the things that you have done in our life. And that we would emotionally respond like Steve talked about, God, that it would affect us emotionally because knowing and, and feeling are so different. And we pray that this morning we would feel you and that it, we would respond in trust. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would anoint this bread and this wine this morning and that it would change us, that it would empower us. God, that it would symbolize uh, an invisible reality of what you're doing in our lives. We pray this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.